So what Paul is getting at is he is saying that not only is living like this, doing, doing a lot of great things in heaven, and not, not only is living this way and being generous and sharing what you have, doing a lot of, of good for eternity, for the age to come, but he says this is also how you take hold of the life that is really life, it's truly life. Those who live their lives to make a difference discover that this is what life is all about, right? That when you live your life this way, when you do good, when you, are, when you live generously and when you share what you've been given, this is how you take hold of the life that is truly life. And this is how you find the more. This is how you find the more. Uh, hey, we are in uh, week three of a teaching series uh, called Made for More. Uh, that I have just uh, really hoped would kind of launch us into this new year as a church family with a lot of purpose and a lot of intentionality. Uh, I would probably describe this series uh, as, as more of like a pastoral series. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, the, uh, the messages that we give each week here, uh, you know, week in and week out, uh, are intentionally designed to, to kind of build you up, to kind of speak to the issues of your life, the things you're going through, and to kind of offer hope. And this series that I've been in has been a little bit different. It, I wouldn't say that it's completely void of those things, but, but every once in a while I have to come along as your pastor and, and speak to us, um, not just individually, but, but as a family, and, and uh, really to call out our greatness, to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to kind of get us to all pull in the same direction, to kind of remember who we are as a church family. And so that's what I've been kind of doing in this series, and I'm going to conclude uh, this series here today. Uh, but... But, but this, this teaching uh, series has really been built on this belief that I have inside of me that you and I are made for more. And I've just been trying to encourage you uh, these three weeks so far to just refuse to let yourself settle for anything less than the more, right? To, to refuse to do that. And kind of building this series on this question that I've asked uh, the previous two weeks, and I told you I was going to ask you it again today, but it's this right here. Have you ever considered that God may have more for you? Have you ever considered that God may have more for you? Like, have you ever considered that perhaps there's more to following Jesus than what you've experienced up until now? Or that perhaps you've yet to hit the peak, uh, right? That, that perhaps you have yet to experience all that there is, at least on a spiritual level of some sort, right? That, that, that maybe there actually is more. And if there is more, like, am, am I going to go after it? And if there is more, am I willing to pursue the more? Or am I, am, I, am I okay just kind of staying where I'm at and not, not moving anymore? You know, to be a follower of Jesus, that language, it, 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 uh, it communicates that there's movement involved, right? Like, like to follow someone means I'm moving. Uh, I, can't, I can't stay stationary or stay where I'm at and still consider myself to be following someone, right? So I just want us to be present tense followers of Jesus and not past tense, Right? That would be like, like something that our church is known for and, and marked by. And so, you know, I think that, that oftentimes what goes on, you know, us as human beings, I think that we are very, very, very prone to lean hard towards the path of least resistance. And I don't think this is just unique to us as human beings. I think that everything tries to take the path of least resistance. You know, if you think about uh, water, it tries to take the path of least resistance. Electricity tries to take the path of least resistance. Uh, Google Maps right? Um, sometimes, sometimes to our detriment, you know, like, like I feel sometimes like Google Maps will give you the route that's the shortest, like as the crow flies, but it's certainly not the most convenient route, you know? Um, but I tell you that because, because all, that, all that said, you know, I, I just think that the default way of life is to take the path of least resistance. So think about things like microwaves and air fryers and drive-thrus, 
right? It's the path of least resistance. Think about job changes. It used to be that you know, people would enter into a job or into a career and that they would stay there for decades. And what has become much more common in recent years, in recent times, is that you know, every three to five years, people are bouncing around. If they don't get the job promotion that they thought that they, they, they should have got, they're going to move on to what seems to them like greener pastures. And, and it's much less common to find people who do get passed over or they don't get to climb you know, the ladder or, or as fast as they want or that, that upward mobility trajectory isn't quite how they would like it. And, and so they move on. And, and instead of, instead of uh, you know, putting their head down and grinding it out and waiting for their opportunity, they, they move on to what seems like maybe an easier path to get to where they want to go. If you're familiar at all with, with uh, college athletics and how it has changed so much in the last few years, um, the transfer portal is something that has uh, completely changed what college athletics is all about. So you have a, a college athlete show up on a campus to play a specific sport, but the transfer portal is there for these athletes who feel like may, maybe they're not getting the fair treatment or you know, they don't maybe like the environment they're in or, or, or primarily they don't feel like they're getting the, the kind of playing time they think that they should get and so they can enter the transfer portal to go to another school and play immediately, which used to not be allowed. You'd have to sit out a whole year. And so a lot of times what's going on is you have these athletes who think that they should, they should be getting more playing field or, or um, playing time on the field or on the court, and, uh, and since they're not, they're going to move to a place, to a school, where there's not as much competition. So instead of putting their head down, trying to beat out the competition ahead of them, uh, they're going to go somewhere that's, that, that's really uh, an easier path to getting onto the field or onto the court, right? And so I bring all that up because I think that, that people do this. I think that, we, that people choose the path of least resistance because the path of least resistance seems to offer an easier solution, right? It seems to offer an easy button. And I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think that all of us are willing to go for it, typically. Like, all of us are willing to kind of try the easy button if we think there is one, you know? Because, because the truth of the matter is, like, we want what we want and we don't like to hear the word no, and, and so we will take what seems like the easier path only to find out that the easier path doesn't really exist, right? Have you ever figured that out? You ever taken what you thought was like the easier path and you're like, yeah, this wasn't easy at all, right? And that's, that's what happens for, for so many. And I think that in my experience of being a pastor, what I've noticed over the years is it seems like most people try their best to avoid the price that has to be paid to get to where they want to go. I, I've noticed this like over and over and over again, like, like, like that people have done this. And so I'm just here today to tell you that I, that I believe that, that uh, you and I were made for more. And that I think that when it comes to the, to the things of God, what I've noticed over the years is that there are plenty of people who want like more of God. They want the more that God has for them. They're just not willing to pay the price for it. And so when it comes to the things of God, right, like there is no easy button. There is only sacrifice. And the question is, am I willing to sacrifice for the more? That's the question that I have, to, I have to look at. That's the question I have to ask. That's the question I have to be willing to answer. And so I just believe that, that God wants to take every single one of us on a very, very, very specific spiritual journey to discovering the more. And that's what this series has been about, really trying to help us discover the more. And the more is, is not easy to discover. The more is actually going to cost you. To, dis to, to discover the more, to find the more, there is a sacrifice that is required, and I hate to break it to you, that sacrifice is you. That sacrifice 
That sacrifices me, the sacrifice of laying my life down so that Jesus can live in me. Like, it's not easy, but when you do this, you know what happens? You begin to discover more. You begin to experience more than you ever could have imagined. You ever could have imagined. I once heard it you know, said like this, that the, the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discovered why, you know? And you ever, you ever, you ever just had those thoughts run through your head? Like, like why am I here? Why am I occupying air and breathing in oxygen right now? Like, what is the purpose of my life? Like, why am I on this planet? Like, lots of people ask this. Like, I think that there is, like, this deep longing in all of us that just, that just, it just longs to connect with, like, purpose and meaning and significance. And, and so I, I thought I would just share with you what I believe to be, you know, your purpose and my purpose, all right? To kind of, kind of get us moving in this direction this morning. So if you're taking notes, look at this thought. The ultimate purpose of your life is to make a difference. The ultimate purpose of your life is to make a difference. It is my belief that like, this is what life is all about, right? That it's not all about you. I hate to break it to you, right? That it's not all about you and it's not all about me, right? That, that uh, it's about making a difference in other people's lives. And I know that for some of you, like, it can feel like life is all about you right now. And that probably has a lot to do with like what you've gone through or maybe what you're going through. And I think on some level that's probably okay. But look, like, like the reason why we work so hard around here, like as pastors, the reason why we work so hard around here to try to help you move past or work past, you know, the things that hold you back is so that your life can begin to do what it was created to do, so that your life can begin to make a difference. But making a difference is not easy. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's not easy. And to make a difference, a sacrifice has to be involved. Like a sacrifice has to be involved. It's required. I, I may have told you this story, but, you know, a um, year and a half ago uh, or so, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that, like we were in the market to buy a new vehicle, and we, uh, uh, we, went, we went shopping, went looking, and we finally found this vehicle that we wanted. And, and I remember... Uh, the whole process because I, I didn't, I didn't, I've, I've bought multiple vehicles and I know, I know how it works. And so I had all like private financing figured out. And I just, I told, told the salesman, I just want to walk in, sign paperwork really fast and be out. I don't want to do the whole hour long, two hour long, all day long, if you've ever done that uh, deal. I, I, I just get all the paperwork ready for me just to sign and I'll, I'll walk in and do it and be out. And I get there and they, they bring me right into uh, the, the finance manager's office. And, and I'm just thinking, he's got this packet, I'm just going to sign it, I'm going to be out in like less than 30 minutes. Uh, because I had things to do, I, I, honestly, I had, I had people waiting on me. And uh, as soon as I sit down, the, the finance manager um, asks me uh, an interesting question. He says, hey, I was looking at your packet, I realized you're a pastor. Um, and I just thought maybe I'd ask you, like, what's the, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> right? Like, what's the meaning of life? You know, like, all right, well, uh, how long do you got? And uh, don't you know that I'm in a hurry? Like, doesn't the sale, the salesman and the finance manager speak to know my request, right? But he, he uh, looked us up, he looked up our church, he actually had watched one of my messages, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I, just, I just started answering the question. I'm like, I'm, I'm on the spot here, and I'm not sure what to say and, at first, and I just think for a second, I said, well, you know, I think that when it, when it all comes down to it, you know, the, the primary purpose of our life is to make a difference in someone else's life, in other people's lives, to like live beyond ourselves, right? Ultimately, like connecting to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to, to like lead us in that direction. But I said, really, it's to live in a way that it's not all about us. And he just looks at me and he's like, wow. He goes, I love that answer. He goes, I'm just messing with you. He goes, I'm actually a Christian. And, uh, 
and I just wanted to see what you'd say. And I, he, he goes, you answered the question, right? So uh, I'm, he, goes, I, he says, I'm going to give you my price that I would have to pay to get the extended warranty. And so I was like, hey, sweet. So um, I tell you that. I tell you that because, because uh, I, this isn't just something I pr- I'm preaching to you. This is something like I believe. This is something that like when, when I'm put on the spot, like it's the answer that flowed out of me, right? That, that you and I uh, are, are created to make a difference, you know, in, in, in people's lives. The Apostle John tells us in, uh, in, in Scripture here that when we make a difference with our life, God likes it. When we make a difference with our life, God likes it. So in John 15, verse 8 and verse 11, this is what, this is what we see. These are the words of Jesus uh, written down, transcribed by the Apostle John. It says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's a big deal right there. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then it skips down to verse 11. It says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So what we are seeing, what Jesus is communicating here is that God gets excited when you bear much fruit. Like God's pretty, pretty pumped up about that. That that when you make a difference with your life, God gets excited about that. In fact, what's being communicated here is that the proof of whether or not you are a Christian or whether or not you are a disciple is not in your church attendance, right? It is in whether or not you are bearing much fruit. So the proof isn't so much found in what you do inside these walls. While it's important to come to church and and to be consistent and to be with your church family, it's not so much what you do inside these walls as what you do outside these walls. Because outside of these walls is where real Christianity is played out every single day. And I think it's a really interesting scripture for us to look at here because verse 11 shows us something really, really, really interesting. It shows us that bearing fruit isn't just for God. So verse 8 shows us that it's to God's glory that we bear much fruit. So like he gets excited about it. But verse 11 shows us like there's more to bearing fruit than just pleasing God. And I think that what some of us may have yet to discover is this idea that I'll have on the screen here is that when you live your life in such a way that it makes a difference in other lives, there's a joy that grows inside of you. There's a joy that grows inside of you. In other words, God has placed within your DNA, within your chemistry, inside of who you are as a person, a mechanism that brings you joy every time you make a difference in someone else's life. It's like built in, it's hardwired. And I love the word here in verse 11 that, that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That word complete that John uses here, he says that when this happens, like when you are bearing much fruit, when this begins to happen, when you're making a difference, that your joy will be complete. So in other words, there, there, there's, it's possible to experience some joy, right? To be, to, to be a follower of Jesus, to... to uh, you know, kind of, kind of be living your life and experiencing some joy that comes through, you know, obviously Jesus stepping into your life and rescuing you and dealing with your sin and all of that. But what, what's being communicated here, what Jesus is saying is, is that there's, there's a complete joy that you can have and, and, and that many people are only ever experiencing partial joy because they're not bearing much fruit. And when you, when you come to the point in your life where when you're willing to use your life to make a difference in other people's lives and you start bearing that fruit out, there is a completeness to your joy that you start to experience. And some of us just have not discovered this yet. Some of you have yet to discover the joy of doing something with your life that has actually truly impacted other people's lives. 
Maybe, maybe you've yet to really surrender your life. You've yet to really sacrifice what you have so that God can give you more. So I don't bring this message to you this morning on behalf of all the people who need your help. I bring this message to you for you. It's for you. So that you can know what true joy really is. So listen to me very, clear, very, very carefully. True joy, real joy is not going on great vacations. It's not when your team wins all the games and it's not when you ha- you're making lots of money like, like the things that we typically pursue in life. Real joy here, if you're taking notes, is when you are living your life in such a way that you're making a difference. And God, in his genius, has hardwired this inside of all of us. In fact, I mentioned this last week. I thought it was worth bringing it back, but you know, secular, secular sociologists have proven that the happiest people on earth are not the ones with less problems, but they are the ones whose lives are making a difference in other people's lives. They call this transcendent living. If you remember me mentioning this last week, which basically means that the highest level of living that exists is when you can lay your head down at night knowing that you impacted someone else's life when you're living beyond yourself. The Wall Street Journal, I mentioned that there was an article that they, that they put out that said that, that uh, endorphins are actually released in the human brain whenever we are generous. So there, right? There, there's this like chemical release of endorphins whenever we are generous, whenever we do good on the behalf of someone else. And so interesting to, you know, to bring that up because what's happening is like those in, in, in you know, like secular society are acknowledging the way we are wired and designed. They may not acknowledge like, like uh, uh, you know, uh, that we are created by, by you know, uh, an intelligent God. But what they are understanding is that the human race is hardwired this way to function. God has designed us to be this way, right? And so let me just say it like this, and I'm gonna to start to kind of shift here for a second. I just wanna say it like this, that, that God has chosen to bless us so that we can in turn be a blessing to others. This is, this is truth right here. Now, God is essentially saying, like, if you'll get on mission with me, I'm gonna bless you with more. And I wanna I want just make a disclaimer here. It's not even in my notes. I just wanna tell you that, that the rest of the message, like what I'm about to do, is it's not really easy for pastors to teach on, it's not really like, like, like the fun stuff. It's, it's what I'm doing here this morning is just pa- trying to pastor you well, okay? Trying to just pastor you, help you understand, you know, what Scripture teaches so that we can be people who make a difference with our life, okay? And so this isn't meant to be heavy-handed. It's not to make you feel bad or bring guilt on you in any way like that. It's meant to inspire you to live your life differently, to live your life the way you're connected to what God is doing, and you can make a difference with all that God has blessed you with. So, God is essentially saying here that when you get on mission with me, I'm gonna bless you with more. So God has chosen to bless us so that we can in turn be a blessing to others. Let's take a second and just define what a blessing is. All right, a blessing is is when God gives you more than you need personally. That is blessing, okay? More than you need personally. So this is more stuff, right? This is more health. This is more ideas, more creativity, more gifts, more talents, more abilities, all of these kinds of things. A blessing is more than you need yourself. More than you need yourself. The key word here is need, not want, right? It's need, not want. And so you and I, as human beings, in a relationship with God, we are actually designed to handle more. We're designed to handle more than we need. 
We are made to receive blessing from God. In fact, in the book of Genesis, we see that our faith begins with a pretty interesting statement from God to the father of our faith, Abraham. Look at this in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses two through three. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen to this, this. all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I realize that this is a very specific promise to Abraham about the future of the nation of Israel. I realize that. But I do believe that the structure of this blessing reveals how God thinks about blessings. God says to Abraham very clearly, I'm gonna make you, make you great. I'm gonna make you into a great nation of people. I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna give you essentially more than you'll need for yourself. That's, that's what he, 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 God's saying here, that, that, I, that, that all people on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, I'm gonna give you more than you need for yourself. This, this, this blessing that I'm giving you is going to extend far beyond yourself to make a difference for all people on earth, Okay? So here's this thought. Oftentimes we do not understand that the purpose of the blessing is so that our lives will extend far beyond ourselves. Like we fail to understand. Like this is like that there's a purpose in the blessing. You might be thinking, you know, as as I'm pulling like, like, you know, a blessing from 4,000 years ago, you might be thinking, man, Pastor Jordan, like this, this is a little thin. Like, you know, you're pulling like a very specific blessing to a very specific man, to a very specific people. Like, what does this really have to do with us all these years Later, are you really going to claim that, that, that blessing? Are you really going to claim that for us? I'm, I'm absolutely going to do that because look at Galatians 3. Look what, look what the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament. He says, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, so that's non-Jews, that's us, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. The same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So, in other words, like, like what's going on here is, is that through Jesus, God has blessed the non-Jews, or God has blessed us with the same blessing, a Jewish blessing that he gave to Abraham. Jesus essentially comes along here in the first century, right, and he says, this blessing that was given to Abraham, it's, it's not going to be a one-man thing any longer. What I poured out on Abraham, I'm pouring out on you. If you'll be on mission with me, this is what your life is gonna look like. If you'll walk in obedience. That was always the key thing for Abraham and the blessing that was on his life was that he needed to walk in obedience, right? And so what, what, what Jesus is essentially doing, what he does, what he changes in terms of the new covenant is, is that this isn't just specific to one nation and one man. This is now a blessing that's being poured out on you and being poured out on me. And so what is the purpose though? What is the purpose of the blessing? Is it just to like, to like acquire more and to have more? The purpose of the blessing is to make sure that our lives extend far beyond ourselves. To make sure that our lives extend far beyond ourselves. And I just, I just think, like, there is great, great wisdom every once in a while in slowing ourselves down long enough to remember why we exist. To make a difference. To have an eternal impact on people. We exist to be a blessing to all peoples on earth. But in order to do that, I think that we have to intentionally slow ourselves down. We have to intentionally stop ourselves long enough to remember this truth that God has blessed us. 
God has blessed us. We're blessed. We are blessed people. We have to be very careful not to forget this. Because it can be really, really, really easy to forget, especially when we start getting into like comparison traps and start looking at what other people have and how we start to feel like maybe other people are more blessed than we are and we can get into all that and we can, we can start to forget how blessed we really are. It can be really easy to go through life and before we know it, we've succumbed to the gravitational pull of selfishness. And this is why we have to stop and this is why we have to remember. Um... Several years ago, Andy Stanley wrote a book called uh, Be Rich. Uh, interesting title, right? It was really uh, about how to be, how to be rich. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, the kind of the, the thesis or the big idea behind this book was that um, more people uh, are, are rich than they, or, than they realize or more rich than they, than they realize and that most uh, rich people don't know how to be rich. It was kind of the idea behind, behind the, 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 the book. And uh, so he, he mentions in this book this Gallup poll that was taken where uh, it essentially asked the question uh, to, to people who took the survey, you know, how much, how much money do you have to make to be rich, to be considered rich? And the, the results came back that like the average answer was that to be rich, you had to have $150,000. You had to make $150,000 a year to be considered rich, right? That was, that was the answer. So then they, they uh, changed the question a little bit to be specific towards those who make between thirty dollars and $35,000 a year, annual combined household income. And you know what the response was? $75,000 a year. If they made $75,000 a year, they would, they would feel like they are rich. That would make them feel rich. So then they took the question and they changed it and they decided to just ask the question specifically to the subscribers of Money Magazine, right? That's, that's, and if you don't know, that's like a specific group of people. Like, you have, to, you have to have money to read about money, I think, right? So, so they, they, they you know, just ask those of Subscriber Magazine, how much do you have to have in, 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 in liquid assets, right? Like, like money that you can get a hold of right now if you need it in order to feel rich. You know what the answer was? It was $5 million. $5 million. It's interesting because what Andy Stanley says in the book is this. He says, he says nobody is rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. Right? Nobody thinks they are. Nobody, like, they, look at, like, they look at their life. They look at what they have. They look at what they've, what they've been blessed with. And, and, and there's always somebody with more. There's always somebody with like, like, like bigger barns and bigger blessings and all that stuff. And, and so he says there's, this, like, there's this, this thing inside of us where we always, we, you know, you know um, we're never willing to admit that we're rich, but we all know somebody who is because they have more or whatever it is. And, and, and the truth is, it, it, what he gets at in the book is that if you make, if you, honestly, if you make somewhere between forty dollars and $45,000 a year combined household income, you are in the top 1% of people in the world. In the world. Now, none of us probably feel rich. Like, I don't know. I, maybe if you do, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, right? none of, I mean, it's, it's, none of us probably feel, feel rich, but the truth is, is that we are. Like, we are. We, like, God has blessed us. God has blessed us, and all throughout the New Testament, all throughout, there are instructions given to the church about, about make, making sure they don't forget this truth, that they don't forget how blessed they are, that they don't forget, you know, um, because how many of y'all know the people of God are, are like, prone to forget? Like, like we, we tend to forget. Like, like we, we pray and we pray and pray and pray for God to answer our prayers. He does. And then, like, a few weeks later, it's like, what have you done for me lately, God? You know, that's how we feel about the blessings of God. Like, we just forget. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy, 
and, and gives him some instructions to, to teach to the church in Ephesus, of which he is the pastor over. And he tells Timothy this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, big deal right there, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, for our enjoyment. So Paul is, is telling us essentially here that there are, there are two worlds, right? That there is the present one, there's the present world, and that there's also the one to come, and that being rich in this present age isn't nearly as important as, as it is to be rich in the coming age, right? And so this is this reminder to this church in Ephesus to be careful not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Psalm 62.10 says, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. It's really important to look at. And so in this, in this first verse of verse uh, 17, uh, Paul is saying, like, instead, like, instead of like, setting our heart on these things, like, we are to put our hope in God who blesses us with everything for our enjoyment. That's an important word when we think about the blessings of God in our life. Because there's a lot of things that God has given you that are okay for you to enjoy for you. Like there's a lot of things that God has given you and blessed you with that are okay for you to enjoy. So in other words, you can, you can eat some of the things that God has given you or you can wear some of the things that God has given you. You can enjoy some of the things that God has given you. We do not uh, believe in or embrace uh, what, what has been uh, often taught, uh, and I, I would say mistaught, which is called the ascetic gospel. I don't have it on the screen, uh, but it, it's, it's uh, essentially this belief that, that uh, you're only holy when you're poor, you know, and, and that that's the only, that, you know, that, that that's the only kind of way to, to, to you know, to, to you know, to kind of prove yourself as holy before God. That we, don't, we don't believe that at all. I believe that there are absolutely blessings that God has put on your life, given to you, that are okay for you to enjoy. Just not everything. It's just not, just not everything. That's, that's the idea of Scripture. Like, he's blessed you, and it's okay for you to enjoy what he's blessed you with. It's just not okay for you to, for you to enjoy all of it. And so it goes on here in verse 18. Okay, so the, again, these, these Scriptures are in sequence. So command those who are rich in this present age, uh, to not be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their, put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Next verse, verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. All right, so those who are rich in this present age, like, look, like, like, like this is what's going on. This is the way it is. Tell them not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. Instead, tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and to be willing to share. In verse 19, it says that in, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold, catch this, the, of the life that is truly life. And so what Paul is saying here is that when you live your life this way, God notices it. That when you do good, when you're generous, when you're willing to share what God has given you, that God notices this. And it lays up for you a treasure, a heavenly savings account, which Paul says is far better to have wealth in that, in that world than it is to have wealth in this world anyway. But don't forget to lay up treasure in heaven. How do we lay up treasure in heaven? By doing good, by being generous, by sharing what we've been given. But not only does this lay up a treasure for us, it also, as Scripture says here, it establishes a foundation 
not just for the life that we're living now, but for the one that we're gonna spend the vast majority of our life in, right? The coming age, eternity. So what Paul is getting at is he is saying that not only is living like this, doing, doing a lot of great things in heaven, and not, not only is living this way and being generous and sharing what you have, doing a lot of, of good for eternity, for the age to come, but he says this is also how you take hold of the life that is really life, it's truly life. Those who live their lives to make a difference discover that this is what life is all about, right? That when you live your life this way, when you do good, when you, are, when you live generously and when you share what you've been given, this is how you take hold of the life that is truly life and this is how you find the more. This is how you find the more. So a little bit of simple advice to you today, you know, very, very simple and, you know, you can probably memorize this, but if God gives you more, do more. If God gives you more, do more. Right? This is, this is, this is partly why Again, I don't teach on this a whole lot. And actually, I've had a little bit of anxiety before this morning about this, all right? But uh, I just don't teach on it a whole lot because I don't want to be misunderstood. I want you to just walk out of here today feeling like you were well-pastored, not like you were strong-armed, okay? But this is why, like, man, tithing matters. And this is why tithing is all about making sure that you are intentionally others-focused when it comes to your finances, so that you do not become a slave or a worshiper of money. It's, it's essentially trusting that God can do more with 90% than you can do with, 10, with 100%. That's, that's, that's what's going on with tithing, right? We believe, we believe scripture teaches that money is a spiritual thing. And Jesus talked about money almost twice as much as he talked about anything else. Like it's a big topic for Jesus. Wasn't something he just like said one thing about or two things about. Like he talked about it a lot because money is a very spiritual thing. Luke 12, 34, Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in other words, the direction of your treasure determines the direction of your heart. All right? It's a very spiritual thing. The direction of your treasure determines the direction of your heart. What I have set my heart on, what I find, what I find peace in, what I find comfort in, what, uh, what, 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 I, what, I, what I put my trust in, right? The, the, the direction of my treasure determines the direction of my heart. And so the question comes down to this, like, well, how do we resist this draw to, to, to love money? If, if, if the Bible talks so much in the New Testament about being careful not to love money. Well, honestly, like tithing is one of the safest ways. It's one of the best ways to safeguard your heart from the pull of money. One of the, it's, one of the, it's one of the best ways. And so I just want to say to you, like, again, very clearly, that if, if you don't tithe or if you hardly tithe, I just want to encourage you to start. This is an expectation for the believer that we see in Scripture. It's an expectation to trust God with our finances, to be people who sacrifice for the more. Like, this is, this is an expectation. So we are to be people who have a greater dependency on God than we do on money. You're hearing me today? We're supposed to have a greater dependency on God than we do on money. And tithing, what part of what it does is it keeps my heart clean. It keeps my heart clean. And so the question that always comes to me when I talk to people about this, and usually it's more one-on-one because people are like, hey, pastor, this is what I'm feeling. Like, I don't know what to do. And, and usually the question is like, well, so then how much should I, should I tithe? And, and the question always comes back to like, well, the Old Testament talks about 10%. And I'm like, yeah, but the New Testament always talks about like 100%, so maybe you should just like give it all, and we laugh about it, you know? And, um, and, and then there's like some, ner- some nervous energy, and I'm like, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so, so like, how much should I? How much should I honestly tithe? Like, that's that's a good question. I, I would say, I, this is what I would say to you. Again, trying to pastor you well, is I would tell you to tithe at a level that causes you to have to trust God. Tithe at a level that causes you to have to trust God. That's what you should do. And you know what that amount is. So stretch yourself. Sacrifice for the more. This is how we handle the more. This is how we handle the blessings of God, is we trust him by giving it back to him. I think you all know this, but if you get, if you get money wrong, it causes a lot of problems. If you get money wrong, it causes a lot of problems. So what I would say also is I think, I think Scripture teaches is that if, if you're not a generous person, you can't get money right. You can't, like, in other words, if you're, like, keeping it all to yourself, if there's this, like, and, and there's many reasons for why we do that, right? A lot of it just comes down to fear. But when we keep it all to ourselves, when we're not generous with what God has given us, like, it, it's impossible to get money right. And so all of this really to bring, to bring us to a question, and I'm trying to get us, get us home here um, with, with, a, with a good close, but here's the question. Is it possible that you might have more than you need? And if so, what do you think the more might actually be for? What do you think the more might actually be for? Why do you think God has entrusted you with more? Is it for you to build bigger, to acquire more? Is it for you to do more? Maybe probably on some level, right? Like it's okay to enjoy some of the blessings of God, maybe on some level, but what do you think the more is, is supposed to be for? Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says that when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even, what's the word? Even what? Even more will be required. So I think like we want the more of God. We're all about the things of God. We want more of God, but it's just like that price that has to be paid for the more is like maybe not what we're willing to do or, or, or want to do. And it leads me, this, this verse really leads me into uh, an interesting like Old Testament um, uh, like tradition or Old Testament example. What we see in like ancient Jewish culture was that when, when the father of a household was nearing the end of his life, he would divide up his wealth amongst his children. Very similar to our own tradition here in the West. Like we do this, right? It's, it's, it's you know, we write out our will. We have an inheritance that we leave to uh, our, our, our children or um, our descendants. The difference in Jewish culture back then, in the ancient Jewish culture, was that when the father was di- dividing up his wealth, he would always give more to his oldest son. This was called the double portion, right? This was called the, the double share. So it was very, very normal, again, in the ancient Jewish culture for the oldest son to get twice as much of an inheritance than that of his brothers and sisters, right? How many of y'all wanna be the oldest, right? I think that we can, we can understand that, we can read those scriptures, we can hear that, 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 those examples and, and quite honestly misunderstand what's really going on. We can think, well, that's just the perks of being the firstborn, right? Like, that's their right, that's their birthright. And it can feel to us a bit like, like uh, firstborn favoritism, you know? Like there's some sort of favoritism given to the firstborn. This is actually not what's going on at all. That's, like, that's, that's a real misunderstanding of what's happening in their tradition. Deuteronomy 21, 17 
um, talks about this. It says he, or the father, must acknowledge the son as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. The son, listen, is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. And so not only is this just like tradition or is this just part of their culture, this is, this is law. This is like a requirement that the firstborn is to be given a double portion so that, so that he can be equipped with the father's strength, okay? So that he can be f- equipped with the father's strength. The better word here for the word right, so it says in the right of the firstborn belongs to him. The better word for right is the word responsibility. So it, it reads a little better if you, if, if you read it, the responsibility of the firstborn belongs to him. So what we see here in, in scripture is that the firstborn is given a double portion to Equip him with the Father's strength and so that he can handle the responsibility that now falls on him. So look at this thought. The reason why the oldest son was given twice as much as anybody else was so that he could be adequately prepared to take care of the rest of the family because there was a responsibility that fell on him that didn't fall on everybody else. So the oldest son, he had to have more because more was required of him. He had to have more in order to take care of everybody else. The responsibility of the family was, was, fall, was to fall on him once his father had passed away. And so this is, this is the Old Testament example, right? This is, this is what's going on. This is how they did things. This is why it was set up this way. And we can kind of, again, look at that as like an Old Testament example and be like, well, what does this have to do with us living in like a new covenant, living in, 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 in a New Testament paradigm? What does this really have to do with us? Well, the New Testament really begins to, to, to build this idea or build this picture of what, what uh, some theologians call the spirit of the firstborn. The spirit of the firstborn. We see this language throughout the, the New Testament. Paul writes in Colossians 1.15 that he, or Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The f- What's the word? Firstborn over all creation. Right. So Jesus here, he's the firstborn over all creation. We see in Jesus' life, right, that, that as the firstborn over all creation, he's, he's taking responsibility to care for, to protect, to help, to save. He's the firstborn, right? There's a responsibility that has fallen to him, and he takes this on. Romans 8 gives us more clarity on how this applies to us. Because in Romans 8, 16 through 17, it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, first and foremost, that, that, that's, that's, that's so critical that you get that and that you understand that. I, I taught last week about... Um, you know, how we are the church and how, you know, the church is, is not just a, a, a destination to, to attend or to, or to go to, but it, it's an identity inside of us, and that's true. But the, but the foundational reality to our identity in God is that we are his children, that we are sons and daughters. And so, and so it, says, it says in 17 that if we are children, in other words, if we are sons and daughters, if that's our identity, then we are heirs, okay, Heirs of God, and then what's, what does it say here? It says co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So in other words, like we are inheriting what Jesus has inherited. And with that inheritance comes the responsibility. It's not just a responsibility that falls on him, it's a responsibility that falls on us. And in the New Testament, I think you could make the case that the spirit of the firstborn applies to all Christians, to all Christians, that God sees every single one of us as a candidate to have this spirit of a firstborn, that God is looking for someone who will understand why they have more and take care of the rest of the family. 
that we will understand this, 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 this reason for why God has blessed us the way he has. So, th- so honestly, let me just, just share with you just a little bit about, this is why, as a church, we do a lot of the things we do. Like, like this is why, for the last three years, we've had a food pantry set up, and we've, we've fed thousands of people. We've given away thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars of food to, to people who are in need and people who are hungry, facing food insecurity all across our city, people come. And we've heard crazy story after crazy story after crazy story, and, and it's messy, and it hasn't been easy, and it's been really complicated uh, in, in many, many times, but we just keep doing it, we keep doing it. Why? Because it's the spirit of the firstborn. Because we, we believe that it's our responsibility. Like it's the spirit of the firstborn, right? So we, we, every year we do around here what's called Give Christmas, and this last year we gave presents away to kids in Tijuana, and, and, and 100 some gifts we sent down there because we wanted kids to have uh, a Christmas down there. Why do we do that? Do we do that because that's just a good program to have, because it helps us maybe feel a little better, or because we wanna just stir up some generosity? No, 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 no. Like we do that because it's, it's the spirit of the firstborn that we've taken on. Like it's our responsibility. It's not just somebody else's responsibility, it's ours. So we take this on ourselves. This is why our church has set up financially that, that uh, you know, uh, 10% of everything that comes in is, is, is immediately set aside uh, to not be spent on ourselves, but to be used completely for compassion efforts. And in that comes like a, a huge amount of money that goes towards benevolence, to helping people who are in need, to people who can't, you know, uh, otherwise, you know, meet all of their needs or, or, or cover all of their utility bills or whatever it is, they're facing hardship or whatever the case. And that's why we have money set aside to do this because it's, it's not just a program. It's not just like doing what churches should do. It's a spirit of the firstborn. It's like, I have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed to be a blessing. It's our responsibility to use the more to make a difference in people's lives. Are you hearing me today? Okay, so this is what the more is for. We're blessed to be a blessing. You and I, we are blessed to be a blessing. And I, and, and I, want, so I want you to, to dial in with this thought, and I'm, I'm about to close. So you guys can go on, come on up. When you have the spirit of the firstborn, you know what the more is for, okay? You know what the more is for. There are plenty of people who I've seen get like drunk on blessing. They're like, oh man, look what God has given me, and it's, it's, it's been used entirely for their own consumption, but when you have the spirit of the firstborn, when you know why you've been given more maybe than somebody else, you start to understand what the more is for. And there's a responsibility that falls on you to make a difference in other people's lives. The New Testament goes on in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 12, 15. He says, look after each other. Okay, so that's, he's speaking to us, like to Christians, look, look after each other. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. So look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the more that God has for you, right? Watch out. Really interesting. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupt, corrupting many. He says, he says, look after each other. He tells us we have to be careful about the way we look at people who have problems. Be careful that a root of bitterness doesn't grow up inside of you. Be careful how we look at people who have problems, as if they are the problem. Just be careful with your heart. Like, it'll keep you from being generous and sharing what you have, because you'll look at them and be like, hey, well, I've helped them five times already. Should we really help them again? Well, yeah, like, is, are, you, are, you, are you the big brother or not? Well, yeah, has God, you want God to continue to bless you or not? 
Like, like we're generous with what God has given us because there are people who have needs. And we're not to become bitter as we look at them and think that they're the problem. We can't allow a poisonous root of bitterness to grow up inside of us. We have to just freely give as we have received. So then the author of Hebrews, the reason why I bring this up is because the author of Hebrews tells us immediately after, after verse 15, we're, we're to look after, after each other and be careful that no poisonous root grows up inside of us of bitterness. It says the very next verse in verse 16, to make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. Like Esau, you know the famous story in Genesis about Esau and Jacob. To make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. Verse 17, you know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected and it was too late for repentance even though he begged with bitter tears. This is like New Testament right here. Author of Hebrews like hearkening back to this story in Genesis where we see Esau as the, as the older brother, the one who had the rightful you know, double portion inheritance, willing to trade away that responsibility to be the one who would look after who would have the more so that he could look after those in his family. He, he traded it all the way to his younger brother because he was hungry. Because he was so focused on what he wanted. And so in a, in a moment, in a moment of just wanting what he wanted and having this kind of like blind focus on what he wanted, he trades away his responsibility. He trades away his, his, uh, his double portion, his inheritance. And he gives it away to his younger brother all so that he could satisfy the cravings really in this case of his flesh. And I just, I just thought this was a brilliant thought because this isn't just like an Old Testament example, like the spirit of the firstborn. And we've been given much and we're responsible with much. And we gotta make sure that like we don't trade away the responsibility that we have with what we've been given so that we can just satisfy the, the longings and the desires of our, of our flesh and the things we wanna do. Look at this thought with me. We have to make sure that we're not so focused on what we want for ourselves that we neglect our God-given responsibility to make a difference in people's lives, to use the more to make a difference in people's lives. And so I want us to, be, to continue to be motivated to, to do more for others and to realize what the more is actually for. So enjoy it, but also give it. Enjoy it, but use it. Enjoy it, but let God use everything he's given you to make a difference in people's lives. Listen to me. The way you should look at money and the way that you should understand the blessings of God is that everything in your life belongs to him. And, and, it, and it should be held so loosely that if he asks for it and if he wants it, he can have it. Just, just let everything in your life belong to him, truly. It's how it should roll. And so I, I just basically came here today to tell you that God has more and he wants us to have more. And that can sound like a prosperity gospel message, but it's true. God has more and he wants you to have more, but then he wants you to know what the more is for. Look at, look at last verse and I'm gonna close. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Paul writes and says, you will be made rich in every way. How many of y'all wanna be, be rich? You'll be rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion so that you can be generous on every occasion. So made rich in every way. Made rich not just in finances, but made rich in your health. I mean, you want some, some, some wealth when it comes to your health, 
made, made rich in terms of your time, like, like enough time to get everything done, made rich in terms of your energy, made rich in every way. Why does God want you to be rich in every way? God wants you to be rich in every way, not so that you can be rich, but so that you can be generous, so that you can be generous, so that you can make a difference in people's lives. And we cannot forget what the more is for. Why don't you throw that last slide up there on the screen? God is looking for a firstborn. He's looking for someone who will say, it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. You and I were made for more. You're made for more. Would you stand up with me as we close? You bow your heads for a second as we get ready to wind down. want to pray for you. If you uh, have your heads bowed this morning and you would just say, Pastor Jordan, as, a, as you've been uh, teaching, uh, there's, there's really been a, a strong conviction on my heart that I need to trust God more with the blessings he's given me and with the, the, specifically the finances uh, in my life. I feel like I'm not trusting him maybe the way I should. I'm not living by faith. I'm living completely by sight. Um, can, I just, can I just see your hand in here today? It's time to just trust God better in this area. See God do more in this area of your life. Amen, yeah. Look, there's no guilt and there's no shame in here. There's just, there's just a call, a challenge this morning to step into the more. Step into the more to trust God with what he's given you so that he can use your life in ways that you never could have imagined. And so God, I pray in this room right now for every person just struggling in this area, and in many ways, it's a lot of us. In many ways, it's probably uh, most of us, most days, just we look at what we see coming in and what we have going out and we struggle to know, God, how we, could, we can use this to really make a difference. But Lord, I pray for just supernatural creativity, for courage. I pray for there to be uh, in this place just a refusal to, to neglect our responsibility to where maybe in the past we've, we've, we've just not seen a way that we could partner with uh, your kingdom and make a difference in your kingdom to use what we've been given to do that. But I pray now, God, we'd walk out of here just feeling different. We'd walk out of here feeling like, no, this is my responsibility. I have a part to play. I have a shared responsibility with the body of Christ. And, and so, God, would you stir us up to know and to understand what the more is for. I pray for financial freedom over people today under the sound of my voice. God, those who have been just walking in, in uh, cycles of bondage to uh, debt, to bills, to uh, you know, uh, all, all kinds of maybe, maybe unhealthy thinking as it pertains to money. I just pray for, for supernatural freedom in Jesus' name. God, that there would just be uh, better days ahead, days of walking in freedom and days of walking in trust, days of surrendering the more that you have given us so that many, 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 many more people can, uh, can be impacted for your kingdom. God, I pray you'd stir up a vision in this church, a vision in all of us, to lay up treasure in heaven, to, to increase the bank account that we have in heaven, to understand that it's far more better to have wealth laid up there than it is to have wealth laid up here. And so give us a vision, God, for how to impact your kingdom, to how to, how to impact your church, to how to make a difference for eternity with the things you have given us, oh God. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.